I'm Bernard Fraser, and you're listening to The Essence of Cool. On today's show, we catch up with radio personality, podcaster, and music journalist Aaron Badgley. Aaron is known for his massive love of the Beatles, which is evident by his long-running radio show, Beatles Universe. He's also written, produced, and hosted many other radio shows, including his current program, Backwards Traveler, on Perturb Radio. He's also a music journalist, currently writing reviews and features for Toronto's Spill magazine. And if that wasn't enough, he co-hosts not one but two podcasts with Tony Stewart, The Wayback Music Machine, and Before My Time. On today's show, Aaron tells us why Roxy Music's Brian Ferry, the legendary Bob Dylan, and Prefab Sprout's Patty McAloon are the essence of cool. Let's get started. Aaron Badgley, welcome to The Essence of Cool. Well, you know, I've never been described as cool, so this feels really cool to be here, Bernard. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm so glad you're here. Before we get started, uh, one thing I always like to ask guests is how hard was it to choose three artists that you believe are the essence of cool? For me, it was really difficult because I didn't want to pick a solo Beatle. So that, I mean, because I think everyone who knows me thinks I'm going to pick a Beatle. And I could have very easily picked all, you know, three of the four. Um, And then narrowing it down, because I've been influenced by so many artists, but also there are so many people who I think of as cool that, you know, Bing Crosby to me was cool. Jonah Louie, I don't know if you know that name, Mm -hmm. but Jonah Louie was so cool. And, And I started looking at all the artists I listened to, Richard Butler from the Furs. I mean, it just was endless. And I thought, I don't know how to do this. So then I went to um, the three artists that kind of I've been listening to the most these days. And I'm going to stick with that right now. (laughs) It was very hard. Very, very hard. But it begs the question then, uh, what is your definition of cool? Wow. Um, For me, someone who's cool is someone who's willing to do... Okay, so... Even if it goes against the current tide, they're going to do their art no matter what. That, to me, is very cool. Yeah. Um, So the people I've chosen, the people who I look up to, are people that kind of flew in the face of fashion, if not started their own fashion, for sure, but didn't necessarily follow the the blueprint of what was to be. So Brian Ferry, for example, and Roxy Music were nothing like a pop band in the 70s, in my opinion. There, that initial definition is something that uh, has been repeated by almost every guest I've had so far. So it's somebody who flies in the face of fashion, who is unexpected. Uh, you never know what that person is going to do next. Um, and certainly uh, that applies to virtually every one of the artists that you have picked today. Um, just want to do wanna, one more thing before we jump into uh, the first artist. And I want to get a glimpse of Aaron Badgley at the age of 12, 13, 14. What music were you listening to then? And how were you coming by it? Was it by the radio or was it uh, uh, buying albums or were you seeing bands live or... Well, I'm the, I'm the youngest of uh, five boys, and uh, I spent a lot of time with an older brother who was in university in Toronto, um, and he introduced me to a lot of bands. So when I was, Bernard, to be honest with you, I was so much the outsider musically when I was 12 to now. Um, you know, and when I was 12, 14, I was listening to General Giant, and uh, I mean, the Beatles were always there, but I was listening to a lot of prog rock. Um as I said, General Giant, Zappa, and then I, that was the start of punk. So I got into punk, the original punk, like Pistols and um, the Buzzcocks, the Damned, the Jam, when I was about 14, and then that moved into New Wave. And I always listened to that kind of music, and um, I came by it through radio, CFNY, 102.1, the spirit of radio. <laughs> Friends who had, and, you know, I used to go to The Edge, for those of you in Toronto who remember that club. Um and uh, but I had four older brothers. My eldest brother played a lot of soul and R and B and Motown, and the next brother played a lot of prog rock and folk, and so on down the line. I, and and um, so when you look at my record collection, you'd laugh because you know there's Johnny Cash with Hank Williams, with Waylon Jennings, and 
Pete Shelley, the Buzzcocks, and um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Procol Harum. <laughs> it's just it's all in there. <laughs> I had a very similar collection. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was a reason why we got on so well. Oh, there you go. And let's, and let's not forget Bowie. I was raised on Bowie, quite frankly. Bowie, Bowie was with part of my life since I was five. So speaking of Bowie, which uh, you know would beg a conversation about art rock and glam rock, uh, let's zip back to the early 1970s because we, our first artist we're going to talk about is Brian Ferry, but you can't talk about Brian Ferry without uh, talking about Roxy Music. So was Roxy Music your entree yeah, to Brian, well, or had you heard some of his solo work first? So when I was nine, ten, I heard these foolish things remind me of you. There used to be a show on television in Toronto called Rock and Pop and Soul. It was on every day after school, uh-huh. and they used to show promo films out of England. And um, I saw him doing these foolish things, and I thought, there's a cool guy. There's a woman playing piano, <laughs> you know, and there he is leading against it, smoking a cigarette, having a drink, and singing a Sinatra song. <laughs> what, what, what more do you need? Uh, and then I worked backwards. And um, I had a friend who bought me my very first Roxy Music album, believe it or not, was Viva Roxy Music, the live album. Oh. Um, and I worked backwards. And... Uh, as a kid, I mean, I was—I remember being 12 years old and hearing "For Your Pleasure" the first time, and and that that last track on the album just literally. <laughs> a reference to the lyric, yes, very well. Um, so interesting because um, thank, you very much. thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> my uh, my introduction to Roxy was for your pleasure and interesting you say that you got uh, the uh, the live album first because it was a really nice kind of retrospective of their career up to that point um and a great version of both ends burning on that album too my god um oh yeah i agree yeah. i agree so uh, tell me as you're as you're uh embarking on this voyage of discovery about Brian and Roxy. What are you, what are you learning about first? What are the fir- the things that first hit you about that band? Their album covers. Um, <laughs> just kidding, no, no. Just hey, if you're 12 or 13 and you're looking at those album covers that are quite provocative, they're I can pretty, certainly understand. They're, they're, they're pretty yeah. right on. Especially um, the originals what, too, what without the, uh, the bras that were so neatly put on by the UK uh, or the, the American folks. <laughs> <laughs> I am so with you. Uh, <laughs> the, the beauty of living in Toronto at the time is you can get the imports. <laughs> um, you know what? What I loved about so when I put out things like the Bogus Man, and you're thinking, where is this coming from? And then, for me, the, my my favorite Roxy song is Mother of Pearl, which uh, it's just everything in in six minutes and, and change, right? It's just an amazing yeah. track. And because of Roxy, I got introduced to people like um, John Cale because I was listening to Brian Eno too. Right. So Brian Eno and would work with Kale, and I was, and believe it or not, I bought Diamond Head when I was fourteen. Oh, wow. That's a film, you know, film, film and yeah. album, and and um, the, the what Brian Ferry did for me was he opened up this whole world of a combination of um, of kind of art rock, prog rock, and glam rock. You know, right, right. And I was all I'm, I was eager. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and my daughter said to me, she goes. How did, how did you pick Ferry over Eno? And that was a tough one. I almost picked Brian Eno for the same reasons. But I went with Ferry because he's a guy that kept re, kept uh, he kept uh, changing himself over time. He he and so did Eno, but Ferry really reinvented himself constantly, solo and with Roxy. So that's where I went because they're both geniuses in my books. Right? Oh, absolutely, and and that's interesting because. Um, in the art rock phase of Roxy, sort of, uh, you know, 72 through um, 75, 76, um, they were really interesting visually, you know, uh, they're uh, mm-hmm. particularly, you know, you know, for the first two albums when he was with them. Uh, but they all seem to have such interesting fashion styles. And I think, uh, if I recall correctly, I read that, um, you know, one of the reasons they created Roxy Music was uh, a way for them to fuse 
their love of fashion with their love of music, uh, which was which, mm. which was very clear, and and of course their love of art because I guess the the three of them um, met at uh, this would be Eno uh, Brian Ferry and Annie McKay met at art school, did they not? They did indeed. They did. Um, as a aside, just a very brief aside. Uh, last year I interviewed Andy McKay. Oh wow! And I, I was I was shocked that I got through the yeah. interview because I mean. He came on the phone and, you know, at one point he goes, are you still there? Because I just was like hyperventilating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's what I liked about Roxy too, Bernard, is that there was that sense of of, um, of the art, you know. Right. Okay, all kidding right. aside, their album covers and their, their presentation was, I mean, you've seen them live, right? Yep. So, I mean, visually they were striking. They were, they were as good as Bowie, you know, in terms of, um, and I don't want to compare the two, but but like Bowie, they they had a stage presence with with a stage show. Yes. And Ferry kept Ferry kept that up. I saw him three years ago, and it was a great stage show, and it was a great concert. I was really, you know, his voice is you know still gone, still good, mm-hmm. and uh, he still had the stage presence. You know. Yeah, there seemed to be um, the the stage show seemed to have morphed a fair bit. Um, Starting, I guess, starting in the late seventies, but certainly with um, with Flesh and Blood in Avalon, uh, which you know heralded a, a, a significant change in their musical style, but also seemed to herald a, a change in um, Fairy's presentation and fashion. Suddenly, he seemed to come across as this a throwback like a a 40s crooner who is very suave and debonair uh whereas in the earlier years of roxy he was very artistic and uh very out on the edge uh, do you concur yeah i do i think that he he was smart enough to know that he couldn't continue to be on the cutting edge right so i think that he he created a character and and that character is exactly what you just said is that kind of well, we all know he was a big fan of Bogart, right? So right. he kind of borrowed visually from Humphrey. Right. And, but musically, he did some wild things as a solo artist. I mean, you're talking about a guy that did an entire album of Dylan covers. Right. Dylan esque. Um, he did an album of 20s, taking Roxy music songs and turning them into 20s jazz, right. which was bizarre, but worked. Um, you know, uh, frantic. I mean, he's. I, I've been following his career very closely since I was nine. Since these foolish things, and I, I just. You said earlier on about the essence of cool. I never know what to expect from Mister Ferry anymore, because right. I kind of go, okay, well, I'll just go with it. You know, if he does a polka next week, I wouldn't be shocked. <laughs> Well, you're right. You know, now to be honest with you, um, I am not uh, nearly as familiar with his solo career, particularly uh, from you know '85 onward. Um, so I haven't really followed him closely, as you clearly have. Um, so I, um, you know, up to that point, I kind of felt that there was. I knew what to expect, but you're right. He every every now and again he throws a real curveball uh, and just shakes sh- shakes it all up, right? Well, yeah, and I and and, and um, you know, it, 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 I, I I'll give you some good advice is to go back and listen to some of his last five albums. There, one album in particular called Frantic, where he worked with Eno uh-huh. for the first time since '73. And, it, right. and they came up with a really, really cool sound, a really cool album. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Ferry, so for me, uh, you know, being this fall, I mean, I really admire the guy tremendously. And, and he always, you know, some of the I don't agree with everything he says or does. I don't believe in fox hunting, but that's that's just me. <laughs> but okay, he stands by it. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he is such a great songwriter. Yet he does, mm-hmm. he releases so many covers. Why do you think that yeah. is? I think he's a music fan as much as he is a writer. Right. And um, I think that, so for me, for my money, I mentioned Mother of Pearl, but when you talk about his solo albums, you look at an album like The Bride Strip Bear, right. and, and you have so many songs on that album that he wrote that, um, you know, Can Let Go, for example. And boys and girls right. and all that, but I think he appreciates the old songs. And um, he did a great 
he did two covers that come to my mind besides these foolish things. Um, he did a cover of Whatever Gets You Through the Night by Lennon right. on his Olympia album, which was, he literally took this song and turned it inside out. Right. It's just inside out. And then on, on an album called As Time Goes By, he did a cover of a song that uh, was a famous, made famous by Bing Crosby called Where or When. And um, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just, he just takes your heart, takes it out of your chest, stomps on it for <laughs> three minutes, and puts it back, you know? Yeah. There, <laughs> um, there, so yeah. I think he, he yeah. There is something about his delivery and his style. Uh, I mean, you can you can sense the sultry in his voice, even without seeing him, you know. What is it uh, about him specifically that exemplifies cool? So I'm not condoning this because I don't smoke myself, but man, does he look good with a cigarette. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. But uh, <laughs> he, he he does. Bernard, he just does. Um yeah. I don't think he's ever played by the rules. Right. You know, I think he's set his own rules and he's, I mean, you mentioned earlier about how Roxy looked in the early 70s. I mean, you look at those old photos from 71, 72, and they, they, they're lucky they weren't, you know, beaten. Um, but he just, to me, what's cool about Ferry is, and Paul McCartney just said this about, I was going to save it for my Dylan bit, but I'll say it, but I'll say it. McCartney just recently did an interview where he said, I want to be more like Dylan. He just doesn't give a shit, you know? And Ferry right. always had that appeal to me. It's like, you know, love me or hate me, I don't care, you know? Yeah. But maybe I'm wrong, but that's how he's come across to me. And um, I've loved him. I just, I, I, I'm one of those people that have, uh, I, I, you know, up to bittersweet. The album came out two years ago. I still just devour everything that man puts out. Yeah. I had a girlfriend in the 80s who told me that Brian Ferry is the one artist who, when he's on stage, looks like he just got out of bed after having sex for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to agree. That's very poetic. I like that. <laughs> oh. I'm going to say, yep, I'm good. That's a good one. Yeah. Listen, at, um, on that note, uh, I want to take a little break. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about somebody that clearly Brian Ferry um, loved and uh, revered, and that is Bob Dylan. So we're going to take a little break and we'll come right back. Stay with us. Thanks for tuning in to The Essence of Cool. As an independent podcast, we rely wholly and completely on support of listeners like you. If you like what you hear, please help keep us on the air and throw a few bucks in our electronic tip jar. You can find it on the front page of our website, theessenceofcool.com. We truly appreciate your help. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, we're back with Aaron Badgley. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, there's the word legend in reference to musical artists gets bandied about quite a bit. But I think in this case, it truly applies. The legendary Bob Dylan. How did you first come across Bob? Wow. How did I come across? You know, I think um, like the Beatles, Dylan was always in my life. So when I came home, when I was, you know, a baby or a you know, an infant, it was just on in the house all the time. Um, I had a brother who loved Bob Dylan and uh, he loved the Beatles. So growing up, it was, you know, my memory, I mean, I remember um, when Self Portrait came out and and thinking that was the most incredible album, Wigwam, the, al the song Wigwam, which is an incredible instrumental. Um, so that's how I came across him, through my older family and, and just uh, he mesmerized me. Uh, in every in every aspect. Yeah, it's interesting. You say um, Bob was sort of always in your life. Um, it's the same for me. Um, you know, I grew up in the '60s and uh, listened to AM radio all the time. Of course, as a Toronto boy, you'll remember 1050 Chum. Um, <laughs> so I was listen, always listening to 1050 Chum, and uh, ever since my my first you know, memories of, uh, you know, so being aware of the radio and being aware of music on the radio, uh, Dylan was on the radio. He just seemed to be pervasive. 
and on CFTR and, and, and CBC TV had a lot of Dylan growing up. I remember seeing him on, on TV uh, for some reason. That's my memory of, of seeing Dylan on TV. Clearly there were a couple of, you know, of talk about songs that made an impact. Hard Rain's Gonna Fall that Brian Ferry covered. Um, I think it was one of the first ones that I remember hearing. It may have been one of his first releases, if I'm not mistaken. And he was quickly sort of sought out by the civil rights movement and uh, clearly the, the, the folkies of the time, because what he was writing about was more politically tinged. Mm-hmm. Um, does that does that ring true? Yeah, I, I mean, he was he was at Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream" speech, and he wow. sang "Blowing in the Wind." You know, um, his first three albums were were folk protest albums. I mean, you listen to things on those albums and he's clearly like a lot of the folk art, but he stood out from the other folk artists. And the reason he stood out was because he wasn't merely singing the newspaper, right? You know, the, the Ballad of Hattie Carroll, for example, is 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 an incredible right. song where he's talking about systemic racism back in 1963, you know? Right. Um, so he, he would tell a story as opposed to someone say like, um, you know, I can't off the top of my head who would just be more politically in your face with the headlines about nuclear bomb, you know, like Eva destruction and things like that. Right. 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 Um, So he, and then he, but he, I'm going to say something here. He never stopped being political. People will say he stopped doing politics and, and when he went electric, but writing about himself is the most political writing you can do, in my opinion. And and so he still maintained, I mean, you listen to Hurricane in the 70s or um, uh, Changing of the Guards in the 70s, and you go right into the 80s. This man never stopped writing protest or political songs. He just changed how he, he expressed himself, you know? Right. So you're talking about um, one of the things that typically identifies people who are the essence of cool is the fact that they are ever changing, they ever ever pushing the boundaries. And his first big change, I guess, is in, in around 65, where he's, he's really getting sick, seems like he's getting sick of the pressures of the folk movement, uh, trying to sort of uh, push him in a certain direction. And he changes, he, a dramatic change. He goes electric, which, I mean, to us today seems, well, you know, big deal. But back then, to the folk movement, is uh, is uh, like turning his back on them. Why do you think well, he did that? Well, because he had to grow. He, he knew that he couldn't continue just doing the acoustic guitar and harmonica. He was smart enough to know that that, has a place, and he went back to that several times. You know, mm-hmm. interesting point. But before before he went electric, as I say, he put out a song called "It's All Over Now, Baby Blue," which you can look at two ways. You can look at it like a love song, saying we're we're, we're done, or he's singing to an audience. He's saying, "Look, folks, this part of my career, it's all over now, Baby Blue. You're gonna have to deal with it." Uh-huh. And then he comes out with like a Rolling Stone, you know, with that great organ and right. and. I don't know if you've seen it or heard it. There's a great concert where he's in, I think, Manchester, and he starts doing like a Rolling Stone, and someone yells out, Judas. You know, you used the word betrayal. People thought, you're a Judas, you're gone electric. And he went, I don't believe you. Come on, folks. This is still me, you know. Um, You know the story about Pete Seeger? No. So Dylan's at the Newport Folk Festival in 65. Yeah. He goes electric. Not telling anyone, he comes on, he does his acoustic, then he gets the, the band, the, the group, the band on. Right. Seeger tried to get an axe and cut the power. Oh, Pete I Seeger. didn't realize. I didn't know yeah. that. Oh, <laughs> it's a true story. Well, and he was so the, enraged. He's so yeah. enraged. Yeah. <laughs> and, and here's the thing about you know Bob Dylan and a, a testament to his perseverance. Uh, as you mentioned, he starts playing with the band as his backup, folks. And they go out on tour, and I remember seeing um, Robbie Robertson in his documentary about the band talking about um, playing with Dylan and being booed off the stage night after night after night, and mm-hmm. him asking Dylan, like, why do we keep 
on. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, what was it? Um, was it simply that he was trying to cram this new style down people's throats or he was just so so imbued with this whole electric phenomenon that you know it was his new persona he had to continue what what was it that pushed him through that well i think he didn't want to go backwards and he thought if he gave up this pursuit it would be taking a step and dylan you can say a lot of things you can love him or hate him he never went back backwards can i swear on this of course you can okay so there's a great clip of dylan with the band doing like a rolling stone and they're getting booed like you said right he turns around he faces the group and he says play it fucking loud (laughs) 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 which i thought (laughs) you go boy (laughs) that's great (laughs) like he he yells at the bed play it fucking loud i thought well and that's you know, you know, you want to know where punk started that night. That's right. where punk started. Yeah. Um, so when did people start to accept this new phase in Dylan's career? Well, I think, you know, like a Rolling Stone was his biggest hit single. So on one hand, you had the older fans kind of saying enough, and they, he lost the older fans, but he gained a whole whack of new fans, and. Um, I think from that point on, some of the older people kind of came back, especially when he was doing the John Wesley Harding album and Nashville Skyline. There again, here's a guy that just did rock and roll and he's recording with Johnny Cash. What the heck, right? Like, I mean, right. how did this happen? Right. So he, he didn't really, he never really cared about how it would be commercially. He cared about was it what he wanted to do? And if it was what he wanted to do, he did it. Right. So I guess it's around 66, he has the motorcycle accident. Mm -hmm. And I guess, do we, do we still know exactly what he broke? Because I don't think they made that clear ever. Uh, Not that it really matters because he's still with us. Um, And then not that, not long after he starts hanging out with the band in the basement of their house at the Big Pink. I guess uh, Dylan lived not too far away. Um, and they start writing songs, but these songs don't get released until like ten years later. What was a what was it about that period of time uh, with the band that um, inspired him? I think as he withdrew from the public eye, I think that he needed. I don't think he needed a motorcycle accident, but he needed a reason to stop touring. Now, right. keep in mind, this is at the same time when the Beatles or the first major rock act to say, we're not touring anymore. Dylan didn't have that, I guess, gumption. So he just retreated. And while he healed, he, he did this work with the band. And, and none of these songs were ever going to supposed to come out. They were, he was writing for other artists. And a lot of the songs did come out prior to the basement taste, but they came out like Quinn the Eskimo came out by Man for Man. And, right. you know, all these artists were covering these songs because they were sent to the publisher to get people to record them. Um, oh. But I think the band freed him up. I think Robbie Robertson and Levon Helm certainly kind of gave him that um, spiritual energy to be who he wanted to be. And uh, the world's a better place for it. True enough. In my books, anyways. <laughs> I have to say that the, the first uh, song that I really took to heart and really sought Dylan out as an artist was, uh, didn't come out until what the late sixties, I guess. And lay, lady lay made such a huge Mm -hmm. impact on me. And I don't know what it is about that, whether it's the, the fact that it's, he's so sort of seeing this, the whole thing pretty much in the, that lower range of his, uh, of his voice. Um, or the, the, there was a real tension about that song that really captivated me. Um, is it was it a song that hit you in that way? Yeah, it was because it didn't sound like Dylan, um, right. you know, lyrically, musically, and vocally. Um, it was it was, but again, that goes back to my thing about cool because you wouldn't have expected Dylan. If you said to me, if you said to a fan in '65, you know, Dylan's going to do Lay Lady Lay. Or if I said to you when you heard Lay, Lady, Lay, you know, he's going to start doing Christian rock in the 80s. <laughs> was that late, sorry, late <laughs> 70s? You would say, no, you're crazy. Right. Um, you know the, you know what I mean? And, and I mean, 
during the, the, the peak of the first wave of this pandemic, he releases a song, Murder Most Foul, an 18-minute song about the assassination of Kennedy. But it's not. It's about more than that. Right. But this is a guy that you, he's just not interested in playing by anyone's rules but his own. So Lay Lady Lay for me, you know, I think it was his, his he, he wanted to try that. And, it, and it, I always thought it was an eerie song because of the production. Um, it has a really weird sound to it. It sounds like it should have been recorded in 1940. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then throughout, I mean, from the 70s on, he's he's making sort of left turn after left turn in terms of the change in his style. He adopts Christianity. There's a huge backlash against that. By the time the 80s rolled along, I had kind of lost sight of him. Um Give me sort of a nutshell from the from 1980 to 2020, sort of the, the the dips and changes in his career, and what were some of the highlights? Do you think? Well, the first highlight is of course the Traveling Wilburys. Um, oh yeah, right. I mean, you got him and Petty and Harrison and Roy Orbison and Jeff Lynne. That first Wilbury album, I mean, it's pretty flawless. Yeah. Um, and then you have him doing things like an album called Infidels, where you know, he does three Christian albums and then throws out an album about infidels. So there you go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you doing, Bob? Um, <laughs> um, and then, you know, a lot of the 80s stuff is sadly overlooked. I mean, albums like Knocked Out Loaded, um, the stuff he did with The Grateful Dead. Um, it's it's pretty Empire Burlesque. Uh, you know, he, he was experiment he but he will say he lost his way in the 80s and what brought him back on track in the 90s was those uh, three folk or two folk albums you know world gone wrong and good right. as i've been to you where it's just him and an acoustic guitar and he's doing right. traditional folk, you know you've never lived till you hear him do froggy winter courtney that's great wow <laughs> what would you say are the three albums that uh the three dylan albums that mean the most to you which ones resonate the most um i'm gonna go with blood on the tracks uh street legal because uh, i'm uh, changing of the guards Phew, it doesn't get much better than that yeah and i'm gonna go time out of mind maybe even rough and rowdy ways the new album because that one kind of where I'm at emotionally right now, uh, that album really resonated with me about looking back and, and all that. So those, I'm going to give you four, but Time Out of Mind, which was his big comeback in, in the 2000s and I think, you know, late 90s. And he won a Grammy and he's he's back in form. He's doing Unplugged. So that's a great, so those three albums and the new one really, you know, Blood on the Tracks is, is, a, is up there with, you know, John Lennon, Plastigonal Band. It's a painful album to listen to because it's about a breakup of a marriage, but it's great. I mean, it's, right. it's his use of language on that album, Idiot Wind or, you know, any any number of songs. So there you go. So the man is uh, all, nearing 80 years old. He has had what almost f- released almost 40 albums. Mm. Yeah. Um done thousands and thousands of concerts and would have been doing concerts now if it weren't for COVID. What keeps him going? I don't think he, I think he's, he's never stopped. You know, I mean, since 62, the man's been on the go. And um, even though those years in Woodstock where he kind of started a family and settled down, he, um, I think what keeps him going is just, is he's a troubadour, you know, much like the old the troubadours of old. That's who he is, and he's. And don't forget his radio show. I don't know if you ever heard his his radio show. It's fantastic. It's a, it was on for four years or so, and, and right. And <laughs> he's even come up with his own whiskey, Bernard. So there you go. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just he's just constantly searching. You know. How will history remember Bob Dylan? Well, as my as my daughter so aptly put it, you know. We're going to be saying, I was alive while Bob Dylan was alive. I think he's going to be remembered as, um, in my mind, he's going to be in the same league as Shakespeare and, and um, the great poets and the great composers, Beethoven, you name it. He's going to be up there because he, you cannot, 
you you cannot put him in one category. You can say he was a folky, then he moved right. to Iraq, then he went to country, then he did that. And like he's he's and and his lyrics. I could I could bore you for the next three hours and just quote you my favorite you know lines by Dylan. The man will be remembered as a as a as a, ge- a genius and and the way he kept very private in, in the most public world. He's he's always been very. He didn't. I mean, no one knew he was married in the eighties and then divorced again. Yeah, it's you true. know, he just kept yeah. very private about it. So yeah. it's all it's all about his art. It's not about who he is, and I love that. Not too long ago, he won the uh, Nobel Prize for Literature, and there seemed to be a bit of a backlash. <laughs> and he didn't go. He didn't go, yeah. Was it deserved? Ten times over. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised it took so long to do it. Um, yeah, I think it was. But, you know, a lot of people would say it wasn't, and a lot of people would say that about sending Patti Smith with a poem and a note was the wrong thing to do. But, again... You got to admire the guy. You know, whether you agree or disagree, you have right. to admire his um, stance. But I think, what do you think? Do you yeah. think it was? Um, I'm just curious what you think. Do you think it was worthy? Or I, I do. I do think it was well deserved. Um, you know, I think what he has, you know, what he has added to the, sort of the um, the lexicon, um, both uh, musically and, and lyrically, but particularly lyrically because we're talking about the Nobel Prize for Literature. Um, you know his words penetrate, and he was uh, he was kind of the unofficial spokesperson of the twentieth century or the latter half of the twentieth century, wasn't he? Oh, absolutely, uh, and and you know you can't I few few people write as well as he did, he did and does. I, I don't know if you've heard his most recent album, but it's no. There's some moments on that album that just chills down your back, you know. One of the things that these episodes uh, are doing for me personally are uh, um, reminding me that there is a great catalog of uh, music that I need to go back and listen to that uh, either I didn't pay attention to pay attention to in its first go around, or I didn't look at examine closely enough. But uh, Dylan is one of those artists uh, whose back catalog I am going to have to explore deeply. Um, and I'm, I'm sad that I, I haven't done it yet <laughs> because he was just one of those guys that was, he always seemed to be present and his music was always around. So I never really had to seek it out, right. but now I really see that I need to seek it out. I need to explore, uh, some of those, those deep, those deep cuts, as they say, uh, because the man has so much to say. Um, and he really does inform sort of modern society about, you know, the world we're living in, right? Well, and, and the funny thing about Dylan, too, is that he's written hits that you didn't know he wrote. So, I mean, he right. co-wrote, like Wagon Wheel, which was a massive country hit. How many people know that that's Dylan? He never put it out, but he, he gave the song. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, he gave the song to Oak Road Medicine Show and said, here, here's, here's a song, do what you want with it. They changed a couple of things and it became a massive hit. That's Dylan. Funny, right? <laughs> Honestly, I didn't know. I mean, I'm very familiar with the Mighty Quinn. I, I loved that song in the late '60s. I didn't know Dylan wrote it. Yeah, that's him. And and uh, I mean, his version's very different from Man for Man's. But I mean, he wrote the song and right. uh, Wheels on Fire. That was his. I mean, he wrote right. he wrote a lot of songs that a lot of artists covered that people weren't even aware that they're, they're humming along to a Dylan song. Um, I want to wrap this up, but I want to give you the final word on Dylan. If there's one thing you want to leave listeners with in terms of uh, their appreciation of Bob Dylan, what would that be? I think, um, you know, it's to, to enjoy what he's doing now and and to also, as you said, go back and, and, and dig out some of this. It's very accessible. I mean, I have the original albums because I kept up, but I mean, that's me, right? I mean, I'm a, some people call me a hoarder. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I recommend that go beyond the hits of his because he's done just some phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. And, and um, you'll be rewarded greatly for it. So, let, like, for example, check out Infidels. Great album, man. You will, yeah. you will email me tomorrow and say, Aaron, thank you. But I, I just think <laughs> that um, he's, he's in some ways misunderstood and uh, needs to be rediscovered. Well, I, for one, need to do that, and Infidels is first on my list. So I appreciate you 
reintroducing me to <laughs> Bob Dylan. On that note, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about somebody that maybe not a lot of North American folks know, Patty McAloon of Prefab Sprout. Um, so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back on the flip side. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you liked and even what you didn't like. Have you got a show or guest idea? Well, drop us a line. Our email addy is info at theessenceofcool.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Now let's get back to the show. And we're back with Aaron Badgley on The Essence of Cool. And uh, we've talked about Bob Dylan. We've talked about Brian Ferry of Roxy Music. Now we're going to talk about somebody that uh, I honestly don't know very much about. Uh, I know a little bit of his music, but I don't know too much. And we're talking about Patty McAloon of uh, Prefab Sprout, who I first came across in, I think it was the late 80s when they uh, came out with Steve McQueen and When Love Breaks Down was all over the radio. How did you hear them first? Um, how did I? I heard them, the album before that, I was working in college radio and we got a British copy of the Swoon album and uh, I just fell in love with this whole the way he words things, um, and there, there were they were pop songs done. I'm gonna say again, like pop songs done backwards. Like even, you know, when love breaks down and things like that, they're just you know they're not your typical pop songs. And um, the song that kind of caught my attention massively was on the Steve McQueen album, and a song called um, uh, "Fair and Young," you know, which was this. How many songs are written about Fair and Young? Right. Great song. Great song. So you were you were caught by. His lyrics first, I was, and again, I didn't hear that. I still haven't heard that album, by the way, so I'm going to have to go back and take a listen to it. But I was caught by the freshness of their sound. You know, this is in the late 80s where we're, um, you know, in the middle of hair metal and, uh, you know, lots of synth pop. Um but they had such a refreshing sound. It was so different from everything else. Did you find the same? Hundred percent. It, it it didn't sound like anything else that was going at the time, um, and that continued on. I mean, uh, everything they did was always kind of a bit bizarre. Um, and you're right. Their sound was so unique. Even a song like Fair and Young, When Love Breaks Down, all those songs. But also when they when they started doing things like, um, what was that one song they had? The King of Rock and Roll. Yes. Yeah, uh, the third album. Song. Yeah. Um, it is awesome. Really good song. And, and even things like Hey Manhattan and Cars and Girls, which was their kind of Springsteen nod. And then the, I don't know, do you know the album Jordan, The Comeback? No, you had mentioned that when we were talking about, you know, which artists you wanted to talk about. I have not heard that album. I, you know, after Steve McQueen and, well, no, sorry, after, wow, what was the, the third album called again? From Langley Park, uh, Langley from Park, Langley Park, to, Park Memphis. to Memphis. Yeah. After yeah. that, I lost uh, touch uh, with um, Prefab Sprout completely. Well, check out, check out Jordan the Comeback, which is an, a concept album about Elvis Presley faking his death and coming back. Oh, and it's an incredible. There's a there's a whole mini suite of music called the Jesse James Bolero, and um, cool. Yeah, it's very cool. <laughs> it's a very cool song. Um, and and Patty, you know, did you know that? He, I mean, he he started out as a he was studying to be a priest. I didn't know that. And um, he quickly found the love of rock and roll and became a you know one of the, in my opinion, well, he's very respected as a writer in the UK. Um, and uh, lots of people have covered his music, like Cher, Jimmy Nail, Snow Patrol. Lots of co- lots of artists have covered uh, his stuff that he wrote. Right. I want to I want to take you to task here. How would you describe for the people for those people who haven't heard Prefab Sprout or anything by Patty McAloon? How would you describe his or their music? I'm gonna I'm gonna use their own words. 
Okay. A life of surprises. <laughs> Pop music mixed with a bit of country, um, a bit of rock and roll, some soul once in a while. Um, and here's a side that you may not be aware of, but, but and, and no one, because it didn't sell, very experimental. Um, Patty did an album, Patty McAloon did one solo album in 2003 called I Trial the Megahertz. Okay. Where he... He lost his eyesight. Um, oh, and permanently? Yeah. He's got some of it back now, some of it, but but a lot of it. Okay. He lost. And he was listening to, um, you know, what's that called? Like, you know, radio um, frequencies. And he tape recorded a lot of conversations and added very odd music. So he was doing this album and he, he, he uh, it's a very experimental album where he's using little clips of, of talk radio call-in shows. It's a very unique album. So to describe his music and Prefab Sprout, it's just all over the map, you know? But um, again, one of those bands, one of those artists that if you just jump into with both feet, you're going to be rewarded with a, with a, a world of incredible music. Um, he did an album called Crimson Red, the most recent one, and that, it uh-huh. was folk. It was folk, folk country. It's just great, oh, great stuff, okay. yeah. I was going to say that, you know, the early albums, that those that I know, and I, I do admit that I have a limited understanding of them, it seemed to me that production was kind of one of the instruments of uh, the compositions because they, they had such a sheen to them. There's, there was such an airiness about them that I thought that really played a very significant role in how people perceived the songs. Yeah, and that was the early albums were produced by Thomas Dolby. Now, I just read something interesting that uh, he, Thomas Dolby certainly produced uh, Steve McQueen, but he didn't produce uh, When Love Breaks Down. That's right. They, well, he produced the original version. Okay. Because that's one of those songs, you know, that that, that um, they had to re-record for it to break. But you're right. On the album, and the head version was not produced by him, although he produced the rest of the album, which was kind of funny. Uh, he produced right. Swoon. The, the, the next album, I guess, was supposed to be an album called Protest Songs, but uh, CBS apparently shelved that album. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, because it was so different from Steve McQueen. I mean, it was, that's again, the beauty of someone who's cool like Patty was that you had this album that was really very different from Swoon. And Steve right. McQueen, both of which did really well in England. And also you get this album almost of folk songs that are protest songs, which they weren't really. I mean, they were protest songs. Um, that came out, though, eventually. It came out after From Langley Park to Memphis and, and promptly right. flopped. But um, <laughs> there, you know the problem with that album was? CBS couldn't hear any – they didn't hear any clear hit singles off the album, and there right. really weren't any hit singles from the album. But – it was more stripped down. It was more bare bones. It was more acoustic right. than what they really wanted to sell at the time. Although, still, I think it's a great album. And I guess at the time, Steve McQueen was really doing so well that uh, I guess um, CBS didn't want to sort of stamp stamp on the success of that by throwing out an album that perhaps wouldn't be received so well. No, because they had a lot of hit singles in England. They had When Love Breaks Down, um, Johnny Johnny. Um, fair and young, they they were they had a lot of singles off of um, Steve McQueen, uh, Appetite. That was a great song. So yeah, they, they, then also you get this album, Protest Songs, which was like um you know an early seventies folk album, British folk album, uh-huh. and uh, they didn't know what to do with it. So then they recorded from Langley Park to Memphis and had hits, Cars and Girls, and, and King of Rock and Roll, things like that. So. And he later later on recorded an album with someone who is really near and dear to my heart, Tony Visconti. Um, yes. Can you tell me about that album? It's called uh, the, 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 Gunman the Gunman and, Gunman Other, and Other Stories. Now, you know what's weird about The Gunman and Other Stories? What's that? Is that it's the only album they've put out that you can't get anymore. You can't stream it, can't download it, can't buy it. It's it's It seems to be gone. Oh. It was a kind of... Um, it was a comeback album of sorts because the band had sort of split up and they came back with a smaller... Uh, Wendy Smith had left the band. Right. Um, 
funny story. Every time since 1999, since 2000, whenever we go to a cottage we rent, we play this album on the way to the cottage. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a lovely album. Um, so Tony Visconti, you know, it, 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 uh, it was a perfect fit for him because he, it was a bit of, a bit of country rock with some beautiful orchestrations. And, and again, um, it's, it's pretty flawless. Uh, and, Cher had a hit with one of the songs on the album. Cher recorded a song called The Gunman, right. which was a hit for her in the UK. And a guy named Jimmy Nail did a cover of Cowboy Dreams, which was a big hit. He's the, uh, he's the, the British album. actor, right? Jimmy Nail? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Exactly. If you ever want to uh, annoy my youngest daughter, say that that version's better than Prefab Sprout. <laughs> you'll, you'll have an, an hour of, let me tell you why it's not better. <laughs> So yeah, it, it was a great combination. Tony Visconti seemed to understand what the band wanted to do, and and unfortunately, it was at this point that um, Paddy lost his eyesight, oh. and the band kind of took a hiatus until 2013. Okay, I would like to have heard what he would have done further with this band. I think Tony Visconti would have loved to have worked with them um, and moved on and done tons and tons. Of, in fact, it's funny when I met him briefly, I asked about the album. Mm-hmm. And he he had great memories of the album. He, he thought it was one of his lost um, gems. Wow! You got to chat with him. I went to um, a Straub's 50th anniversary a couple of years ago in New Jersey. Yeah, and he was a keynote speaker. Oh. And um, after his keynote, he got you got to go and ask him a couple of questions and talk to him and stuff. And he was he was a lovely guy. But he did. It was funny because I'm at the Straub's thing asking about prefab spray, which I thought <laughs> could have gotten me kicked out. <laughs> One of these things is just a little different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's named Aaron. <laughs> uh, listen, I want to slip back to the um, the theme of our show, which is the essence of cool. And what is it about Patty McAloon specifically that classifies him as cool? He recorded a killer version of The Streets of Laredo. Um, oh, really? He did oh, on, wow. on the Tony Visconti album, yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, what makes him cool is again, the same thing. You know, this is a guy that was not content. He could have very easily done Steve McQueen part two right. and part three and part four, right. but he, he didn't, he kept, he kept growing. And although due to, you know, illnesses, he didn't get to do as much as he could have, what he has put out is nothing short of brilliant and nothing short of entertaining and never, boring right you you know you could you can say to me you know i don't really particularly that music's not my cup of tea but it's not boring far from it yeah and um he's got a remarkable sense of humor just remarkable and and i've seen him interviewed and i literally um by the end of the interview just tears come laughing because the guy is just so funny (laughs) um so yeah those things make him cool in my books and the fact that the fact that he he um he he, kind of did his own cottage industry, not really um, playing within the boundaries that the record companies want him to play. And um, as a result, as I said, Jordan, the comeback or Andromeda Heights, these albums, they hold up, right? And they will hold up. They will continue to hold up. Um, Give give Jordan the comeback and spin. I think he'll really like what you hear. I will definitely do that. Now I'm reading on Patty's wiki page that. There was a, sort of a, there was a release of sort of a release of a uh, a song called America under Prefab Sprout that was I guess suggesting or hinting at a new album. Is there going to be a new album? Well, um, I've heard tell that there is one coming in twenty twenty one. So if anything can make twenty twenty a bad memory. <laughs> No, um, I'm hoping. Yeah. I, I um, when they put out um, Crimson Red, mm. and there was an album before that called um, "Let's Change the World with Music." Okay, I, I mean, there was no big hype. It just kind of they just kind of Bowie did that. Yes, Remember he when did. Bowie just kind of put out his yeah. comeback album, and there was no hype. Yeah. It was great. It was what's called the next day, right? Yep. I love that. Yeah, I love Dylan does it. It's just hey guys, boom. Yeah. Um, I've heard that he is working on music, and I heard that 
he is working with his brother who was in prefab sprout. Right. So I've got my fingers, toes, and hair all crossed. The last uh, song I heard, uh, or I guess the most recent song that I've heard of prefab sprout or or by Patty, was I guess off of that 2013 album uh, Crimson Red. Uh, it's called Best Jewel Thief in the World. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great song. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know what I heard from that was a, a kind of a renewed prefab sprout. It still had that same freshness and originality and those smooth vocals from the early albums. Uh, But just, you know, there was a a hint of newness. And I wonder if that's something that if, if he does release in 2021, if it's going to sound a little like the, you know, the original prefab sprout, or will it be completely different? I guess we have no idea. I think it's going to be completely different. I think it's it's going to sound like Prefab Sprout because it's got his voice. Right. And I think it's got his style of how his musical framework. But uh-huh. I think that, you know, on that same album, there's a there's a great song um called the uh, the devil the devil came a calling, okay. which is which is as good as the the best jewel thief in the world, and the, and they're polar ends of the world, like they're just so different. But I agree with you 100. percent That album sounded like a brand new band who were just ready to burst open again. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, on that note, I want to wrap up our discussion on Patty McAloon. Um, and again, I guess this, uh, I, I'm going to have to go back to the, the back catalog and start <laughs> listening to a lot more Prefab Sprout because, I mean, I really did. I love those those first couple of albums and uh, the sound really hit me um, and the, and his glorious voice. So such a beautiful voice. Um, but let's wrap that up. And we're going to finish off before I let you go. We have my usual little game for the end of The Essence of Cool uh, it's called Cool Not Cool. So <laughs> I'm going to list a number of artists, uh, individually, of course. And after each, I would like you to let me know, in your estimation, are they cool or not? And if you have some comment, please feel free. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get started. Uh, oh. is, is no comment an answer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> okay, just check it, just check it. I would prefer cool, not cool, because, you know, <laughs> be definitive about this. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, the first one is Oasis. <laughs> In my opinion, not cool. And why? You know, I, I, it kind of annoyed me that they were using obscure album titles and having hit singles and no one knew where it came from. Um, <laughs> I love the fact they love the Beatles, yeah. but, uh, you know, the Kinks – did it better with their brothers fighting. And, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. And, and, I, and I think the Beatles did it better when they were recording. So I just, I was never a fan. I mean, I, I admire their talent and I admire the fact that they keep on going. And sometimes they make me laugh, but yeah. I don't find them cool. <laughs> okay, we'll move on. The next one is... Let the email start, folks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my next one is Tom Petty. Very cool. Very cool because again, like a Dylan, Petty broke so many rules, yeah. and um, I think people underestimate his his brilliant lyrics, um, and I think that they underestimate his musical ability. I think the guy was a freaking genius. Yeah. I love his music, and I love. I think he was, and he just was cool. Yeah, like he just so cool to watch. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, okay, the next one is Beck. Yeah, I'm. I, you know, I, today cool. If you asked me five years ago, I'd say not cool. So it kind of he changes depending on what he's doing, but I think he's cool for the same reasons. He um he's he's kind of a character, right? And yeah. and um when I you know what happens to me is I'll be driving and I'll hear a song go, that's really good. Can you shazam it who it is? It's oh it's back. <laughs> always. It's always back. Always. I don't yeah, it's always back. So yeah, I think he's cool. Yeah. I think he's cool. I think he's he's pretty young. And I'm surprised nobody's picked him uh, yet to d- to discuss uh, um, as a, an artist who has the essence of cool because he is he falls into all of those categories, all the definitions, uh, ever changing, uh, completely unexpected. Doesn't care what anybody thinks. He just wants to put out what he wants to put out. So um, hopefully somebody will talk about him at some point. Right. Okay. Right. Then uh, next one is Canadian band Metric. Uh, I think they're cool, you know. I mean, they went to the same school as my kids. Um, oh, cool. I've seen them live. They're very cool. I think they've uh, 
they're a band that grew. No one expected them to grow the way they did. And I think they kind of, um, they showed everyone who what, what, what they were made of. I think they were cool. Yeah. They were cool. Lou Reed. If you if you look in the uh, dictionary under the word cool, there's a photo of Lou Reed. That's right. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I uh, he's the king of cool. Yeah. Um, on on every level. Yeah. yeah. No, he's beyond cool. Okay. Joan Jett. Huh. <laughs> well, well. Oh, uh, this is going to be an interesting conversation. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a fan, and really? I don't. I, I'm not, I'm not. And I, I thought that Chrissy Hine was much cooler. Um, I, you know, the runaways definitely cool. Yeah. Um, her cover of Crimson and Clover, not cool. I, I just think it's, it's kind of, uh, not, not my favorite. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> emails, emails are coming now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I saw her. Oh, did you? Live, okay. so, yeah. 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 With the Ramones. Oh, wow. Now that must have been a double bill. <laughs> it was very, it was at C&E, C&E Stadium. Oh, you're kidding. The Ramones played C&E Stadium? Yeah, they backed her up. They were the backup. Uh, they, they opened for her. I and did. promptly didn't, did not go down well. It didn't, eh? Oh, I boy. I think so. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move, let's move on. XTC. Extremely cool. Yeah. Because uh, if they, if the only thing they ever did was English Settlement, they're cool. Yeah. But they did so much more and so much good music. And so Andy Partridge. Yeah. Love that man. Um, yeah. They wrote a song for the they, – they wrote and produced – Andy Partridge wrote and produced a song for the Monkey's Christmas album. It doesn't get cooler than that. I friend. didn't it know that. Yeah. What song is uh, that? It's on the new um, – Wrapped Under My Christmas Tree. Oh, very, oh! I have to listen to listen for that. That's yeah, great. It's the first first track on the Christmas album by the Monkees. It was written and produced by um, <laughs> by Andy Partridge. Wow! I <laughs> and uh, if you buy the forty five, you get the demo of it. Oh, really? Uh, I so I have seen the documentary about uh, Andy and the band. Uh, this is pop. I've probably seen it four or five times, and every time I see it come Excellent. on, I watch it from beginning to end because it's endlessly fascinating. He is such an interesting guy. Beyond. Um, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I'm a big fan. And um, should I tell you my sad story? Please. I had tickets front row center to see them at Massey Hall on the English Settlement Tour, which was the tour where he kind of had some breakdowns yes. and, and got canceled. That And I was so disappointed because I really wanted to see them live. Oh, as I think they got, they were playing during that tour, they were playing in LA or something. And, and is that where he walked out and said, I don't want to do this anymore? That's right. Yes. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Just before Toronto. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I, I, I feel for you. Cause I would have loved to yeah. have seen them. Yeah. Okay. My final, uh, my final artist on uh, cool, not cool is super tramp. Very cool. I, I, I'll tell you why. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they were in the shadow of other bands like Floyd and stuff. And that's a shame because crime of the century and um, Crisis, What Crisis, even in the quietest moments, those three albums, that trilogy of albums, um, are very hard to beat. Yeah. They they sound good. They're lyrically very strong. They, um, they they hold up today. But even after Hodgson left the band, they've done some very cool albums. Right. So I'm going to put them in the – I actually saw them on their last tour. They were terrific live. And the funny thing is – in 1982, if I admitted to liking Supertramp, I would have been drummed out of the edge. But, you know, <laughs> I, I, I was always a closet Supertramp fan. So there you go. No, I love them. I think they're very cool. I would agree. Although beyond, even in the quietest moments, I kind of lost interest because they just got too pop for me. Uh, but the first three albums mm -hmm. were brilliant. And in fact, I, I saw the tour for Crisis What Crisis, and it was magnificent. Did you really? And I did, yes. That must have been amazing. The tour, the, or that particular date, the sound was perfect. They executed every song perfectly. It was really as if you were listening to the album. There were there were, was very little difference other than you were in this big stadium with twenty thousand people. I would. I love to. I wish I could have seen that. Too. I, I I even like their very first two albums, Indubitably Stamped and Just Supertramp. They're terrific prog rock albums. You know, they're well worth searching out. I have to admit, I haven't listened to either. Oh, 
Yeah. You'd love them. Yeah. They're really, they're really, they're like um, a sugar coated gentle giant. Oh, okay. Uh, and I love gentle giant. Um, Do but, you really? Me too. I love yeah. Them. I saw them uh, in, gosh, I think it was around 1975. It was at Varsity Stadium. There was, um, I think five bands playing and they were one and it was a really strange mix too it was like jefferson air no jefferson airplane or i think they were jefferson starship at that point um and a couple of other bands and gentle giant and they just seemed to be it's such an odd fit but they were wonderful listen aaron thank you so much for joining me on the essence of cool this has been a again a brilliant conversation and you are so knowledgeable and i i really appreciate you bringing me these three artists and uh reintroducing me to their catalogs and i will be listening to uh, bob's back catalog and patty's back catalog so thank you for that well thank you for inviting me i've had a, an absolute blast and uh thank you for considering me even remotely close to cool well that's very cool man thanks it's, it's been my pleasure Thanks to Aaron for a very cool conversation. I'm always amazed at those who have such a vast knowledge of so many different genres and artists. You can listen to Aaron's radio show, Backwards Traveler, every Sunday on PerturbRadio.com. Check out both his podcasts with our mutual friend Tony Stewart, the Wayback Music Machine podcast, and Before My Time, which is, incidentally, a Spotify-only podcast. You can also read many of his feature articles and album reviews on TheSpillMagazine.com. Until next time, I'm Bernard Fraser saying stay safe and please support local independent artists.